Why is vision so hard? Why don't we have it? Why don't we hold on to it? If we do have it, why does it slip through our fingers? I think it's so hard because of life. Life just rockets its way through each and every moment of our days, and the velocity of it is overwhelming, and we've got places to go, people to see, things to to get done. We have boxes, all these boxes that we're trying to check off, check off, check off. And if your life is like my life, you get up in the morning and, and, and maybe you get a cup of coffee and you do something and then all of a sudden it's time for bed and what happened and what is really going on. So to have a vision that is compelling, to have a vision that drives us is difficult because life is difficult. At the Global Leadership Summit, Julia Font talked about that. She did a whole thing about how do you find time in your life. And I got to spend three hours with her just a couple of weeks ago. It was really amazing. She rocked my world. And she had this to say about the speed of life. The pause has been squeezed out of our habits and schedules by the tyranny of the urgent by a thousand forms of minutia and by an avalanche of emails and meetings and decks and reports and paperwork and ever-present smartphones, by days that look like this. You wake up in the morning, you hit the snooze button, you sleep for five more minutes, and you're up, you shower, you brush, get into the kitchen, looking for breakfast, maybe scrambled eggs, maybe French toast, haha, ha, yeah, right? You get into the car, you've got a power bar in one hand, a cell phone in the other, and you're driving with your knees. You get into the office, you start flag prioritizing your email. Red for emergency, yellow for time sensitive, green for this can wait. You end up with 227 reds and a green. You go to your first meeting, and then another meeting, and then another meeting, and another meeting, and another meeting, and finally a lunch conference call on which you have to spend the entire time listening to the typing and sandwich eating of the one person who forgot to hit mute. And then suddenly you get a message from your mom who has learned how to text. <laughs> She's buying tickets for the holidays and she can't remember how to book them online and you text back, mom, please not while I'm working. And you rush around here and you rush around there and you rush around here and you rush around there and all day long you almost. <laughs> and this is how we work, right? All day long. <laughs> right? The speed of life sometimes keeps us from grabbing onto a compelling vision that can change our lives, that can move our lives the way God wants to move our lives. There are two ways to look at vision. The first way is tangible vision, and the second way is kingdom vision. Tangible visions are things that have timelines, they have progression, there's an end point, you're trying to achieve something, maybe it has something to do with school, maybe it has something to do with the ministry you're starting or a ministry you're starting to get into, maybe it has something to do with a mission trip that you always wanted to get on, some, some personal goal that you have, but a tangible vision always has time limits and parameters. Having a kingdom vision is very different. A kingdom vision is the driving force of life, and it can become the driving force of your life. So if you have a choice, even though we're going to always have tangible visions in our lives, the first thing to choose that will change everything is a kingdom vision. Always choose the kingdom vision. It never wears out. 
It never stops calling you into the defining moments of your life. It carries you through the valley of the, of the dark questions. It climbs the mountains with you of the struggles. The kingdom vision was given long ago in Matthew chapters 5 to 7 in something called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus gave us the kingdom vision. We sometimes think that vision is about seeing something out there. But vision always begins by seeing something in here. And to see inside of you what is really going on is the most important thing. Jesus and his vision is trying to get inside of you so that you can have the same vision that he has for life. Let me tell you about the Sermon on the Mount and the kingdom vision of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 5. This is the vision of who we are. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill or a city built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. That they may see your good deeds, that your, your life is a shining light. Your life makes a difference. This is the vision of who we are in terms of the kingdom vision that Jesus Christ was talking about. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. What Jesus is trying to say is God has given us insights. God has given us principles that really build our lives, and we do have to hold on to those, and we do have to embrace those, and we do have to internalize those. But then he puts this little twist at the end here. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. What he's saying is, yes, there's something to be taught. Yes, there are biblical principles to be understood, but unless you really live them, unless they become part of the fibers of your being, unless you really want that life that really matters, and you're doing this every single day, taking what biblical principles are and fleshing them out in your life, you're not getting it. Being a Christian is not about doing, 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 teaching, 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 teaching. It's about listening. It's about being everything that he wants us to be. It's why he said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So he's talking about the intimacy that comes when you know him, the intimacy that comes when you're really living each and every day in a tangible way according to these biblical principles. This is the vision 
of bringing real faith and real life together. Christianity was never a, I show up for a few moments and then I get lunch experience. Christianity was always a moment by moment dependence on God, knowing that as he walks with you, as you walk with him, your life changes in dramatic ways. He began to talk about what I call the vision of going beyond fairness. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Who says things like this? Who says things like this? God. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. God gives blessing upon blessing to those who believe in him and who want to know him deeply and personally and live out his thoughts. And God also sends blessing upon blessing to those who have walked away. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is what I call the vision of going beyond fairness. In life, people want things to be fair. Men and women in politics want things to be fair. You know, when you play sports, you want things to be fair. When you, when you are in school and you're getting graded, you want things to be fair. We live in a world of fairness. Jesus says, if you're going to live according to fairness, you're never going to get to the kingdom vision because it's not about fairness. It's about a bigger love. It's about a bigger grace. It's about something that compels you to do things that you, you shouldn't normally do according to fairness. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go, go two. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Who says stuff like this? But it, it drives me to want to live my life according to a kingdom vision, not just according to what I think is fair for me. Almost every day, I walk Bodine Wilson down at the oceanfront. And we walk in a very special place. We walk at the Presbyterian Church. Why? Because the Presbyterian Church has these jumpy, jumpy things, and I put Bodine Wilson inside. Uh, and they love it. And they say, they say, are we Presbyterians? I say, yes, you're Presbyterians. And Presbyterians like jumpy, jumpy things out on the front lawn. So we can go in here when nobody's looking and jump around. So I, I walk them down there just about every day. And it's a, it's a wonderful experience that we have being Presbyterian. Uh, but when I was walking there the other day on the grounds of the Presbyterian Church, all of a sudden I see this, this young man. I'm going to say he was about 30 years old. Very thin. Uh, kind of disheveled, looked like he'd been sleeping outside, and he's kind of walking about 15 or 20 feet away, and, and, and he looks, he looks really 
really hungry. He just does. I have the spiritual gift of being able to spot people who look hungry. I know when I'm hungry. I know when you're hungry. I can see it all over your face. And so this guy looks hungry, you know, but I'm walking Bodine Wilson, so I'm keeping one eye on Bodine Wilson. I'm keeping another eye on him, Bodine Wilson, him. All of a sudden he goes around the corner of Presbyterian Church, disappears. I get Bodine Wilson back in the car. I walk around the corner. He's not there. I think I've got I've to find him because I really wanted to get him something to eat. And so get in the car. I drive around the block can't find him. I drive around another block, can't find him. Now this is starting to take a lot of time. Why am I even doing this? Why am I doing this? One reason I'm doing it is because I think maybe he's an angel and God is testing me. You know, this, is, this is a test of am I paying attention? Uh, these are the pastoral tests that come into my life. Uh, so I keep driving around. Really I'm doing this because I have a kingdom vision. If it was up to me, I'm, I'm out of here. I have other things to do. I got to take Bodie and Wilson home. I got to get him down for a nap. I have to go on with my life. Things have got to happen. But I am now driving around the oceanfront looking for this guy. And finally, after five or ten minutes, I spot him. He's walking down the sidewalk. And he just looks lost. He looks lonely. He looks hungry. So I pull my car up. Window goes down. And I say, Hey, do you need something? He says, well, I could use a few bucks. And I said, I want you to get something to eat. We're like a block from 7-Eleven, and I saw him walking over to 7-Eleven after I gave him something. But why do I take that time? Why do I do, why do I, I, I use time that I really don't have to burn to do something like that? It's because I am overwhelmed and I am compelled to hear the words of Jesus in my everyday life and to have a vision of going beyond fairness, to have a vision of bringing real faith and real life together, to have a vision of who we really are, who I really am in the world. It's the only way it works. It's the only way it's supposed to work. It's the, the kingdom vision. Matthew chapter 6, this is what I call the, the vision of, of humility. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Who thinks like this? God. Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This is the vision of humility. Again, I'm driving down First Colonial Road. This is just yesterday. I see two people. They have the biggest cardboard sign that I've ever seen. It's four or five feet wide. In big letters, it says, Victims of Irma. And, and so I'm thinking, how did they even get here, you know, from down there? And, and, and I thought, I have to figure this out because I have a kingdom vision. So I just go through the parking lot of the the BP gas station, 
I wave at, at the, the woman, it's a woman and a man, she comes over, and, and I say, what's going on? And she told me exactly what happened, and how they're from Tampa, and I actually asked her for ID, and it showed that that's where she was from, and I said, you know, I want to be able to, to help you, and we talked about it, and the best way I could help them was to put gas in their car. They were actually going to sleep in their car. I got to see the car. Very comfortable. I wanted to sleep in the car after I saw the car. Very, very comfortable accommodations in the car. Uh, that's all going to be part of what you can win when you go out here to sign up for the Faith and Life class. So, um, so you know, I actually physically filled the tank up with gas. And, and, and then she said, can I hug you? And I said, sure. And, and we, we, we had that just moment, and it was... She said to me, I knew God would send his angels. Now, I don't feel like an angel, and I don't, I don't want to be an angel, but I, I want to live out in humility a kingdom vision. She told me about her husband's skill level, that they, she really felt they could get a job in this area, and, and I just wanted to like, get them from, from this point to this point. I didn't have to like change their entire lives. I just had to make sure that they had gas in the car so that he could go on a job interview on Monday. The vision of humility. And then Jesus said this. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door. Could, could be translated, go into your closet, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Listen, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. Or even say anything. He knows what you're going to say. He knows what you need. He just wants that done in a private time with him. You know, up on the third floor, and, and I doubt that very many people in this room know this, we have a small prayer room. It's not fancy at all. It's, it's a little bit bigger than a closet, not much. And, and anytime you want to use that room, any day of the week, you can use that room up on the third floor. You can go in there, close the door. You'll be in a small space all by yourself, and you can pray in that small, quiet space to a God who already knew you were going to show up there and already knows what you are going to say. So in, in a world that had lots of people praying a lot of words, Jesus said, you don't have to do a lot of words. This, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed, be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Did you ever think about that? His will be done. It's already being done in heaven. On earth as, as it is. How does it get done on earth? With men and women who have a kingdom vision. Give us today our daily bread. Just need something today to eat to keep us going. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, if you forgive other people 
when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Who says this? Who thinks like this? This is a a kingdom vision. This is his vision of prayer and his vision of forgiveness. And then there's the vision of giving. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, or it could be moths and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus knows that you need a place to live. He knows you need resources. He knows you need clothing. He knows you need everything that you, that you need. But he says, if you want a kingdom vision, you can't live your life just focused on you and what you need and what you want. You have to trust that God's going to give you what you need and what you, you desire. And he does that at all different levels. And we know that as we look at society, as we look around, all different levels of blessing. But the point for everybody with a kingdom vision is, is how do I store up treasure in heaven? That's the highest priority in my life. How do I invest in the things that God is invested in? How do I accomplish what God is asking me to accomplish through the ministries of the church, through the missions of the church? Remember Jesus said, I will build my church. And then he says at the end of this passage, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. There's all kinds of things going on every day. Things are flying. Things are moving fast. Boxes are are being checked. The most important thing is the kingdom vision. It keeps you safe. It keeps you secure. It keeps you moving down the road toward his kingdom and his purposes. At the end of Matthew 7, what I call the vision of of maturity, it says, first of all, let me read you this because this always blows me away. And I, I think about this a lot. If there's a passage that I think about a lot, here it is. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye or the beam in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? Imagine somebody walking around and there's a two-by-four coming out of their eye. They're saying, you know what I really don't like about you? Well, maybe I'll just like take the board out of your eye first. How about, how about we do that? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. That's what I call the vision of maturity. But the, the end of this chapter 7 is amazing. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Amazed. Because he taught as one who had authority 
and not as their teachers of the law. See, they had teachers, and they were just teaching stuff and making people jump through hoops and making people, you know, you know, run this race this way. Do as I say. Don't do as I do. Do as I say. And Jesus was was humble, and he was he didn't have anything. He just wanted to serve and give his life away. When he spoke, he got deeper than just what it said on the surface. He got into the real stuff of life. He got into, like, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. When you pray, go into your closet. And you don't have to be, you don't have to make a show of it. And if somebody needs something, give it to them if it's in your power to give it to them. Matthew 7, 13 through 14 kind of nets it out. This is in the message. Don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time, as if in your spare time you can have a successful life. Don't fall for that stuff. Even though crowds of people do, the way to life, to God, is vigorous and requires total attention. The way to life, this life that really matters, this life of the kingdom vision, is vigorous and requires total attention. See, we think that vision is something out here. Vision is always something in here. A couple weeks ago, I did an online seminar with John Maxwell. And I like John Maxwell. Uh, I've actually been to his home um, and uh, you know, spent personal time with him in, in seminars sat on a couch in his home with him and his wife with a few other pastors. And, and John, he just has a way of, of taking the kingdom vision and putting it into everyday reality. And so through this seminar, he spoke about three different words that will impact and shift and change your kingdom vision. Curiosity, imagination, and creativity. I call this the vision edge. Curiosity asks the right vision questions. What am I missing? Where can I go to find it? How will it change me? And, and this to do this, you have to slow down a little bit. To do this, you can't just keep running through life. Lickety-split, you got up, you had a bacon, egg, and cheese. All of a sudden, you're going to bed, and then there's another day. You get up, you take a shower, you go, all of a sudden, you're going to bed. We have to find moments when we can be quiet and ask questions like this. What am I missing? Where can I go to find it? How will it change me? He asked a very interesting question uh, that he himself was asked when he was uh, at one of these seminars. What's the difference, John, between leading in your 30s and leading in your 60s? It's a great question. You were a leader in your 30s, now you're in your 60s. What's the difference? He said this, in my 30s, I didn't ask questions. I thought I was the answer man. See, that's where a kingdom vision that allows you to be humble allows you to ask the questions that are the hard questions that you have to answer. And I think about being in my 20s and 30s and how I didn't, ask questions. I thought I had all the answers too. But you have to get to a point where you have the humility that comes from the kingdom vision to go, ask me the hard questions. Tell me the stuff that I need to know. 
How are we going to figure this out? You know, the other day, uh, actually it was just yesterday, I sent out an, an email to all the members that said, hey, we're going through a process of trying to figure out change in the church. And, and change is always two things. One pastor friend of mine said, it's two things. It's a, it's a pull from the front and it's a kick in the rear. It's a pull from the front and it's a kick in the rear. And sometimes it's God who's kicking you in the rear because he's got to get you into the kingdom vision. So, you know, I sent out this this email to the members and said, hey, we are dealing with this stuff. We, we are kind of leaning into this stuff. And if, if you'd like to get a copy of that, you didn't get a copy, uh, they're out at the Connection Center that's in the lobby today, so you can pick that up. But I was thinking about something Bill Hybel said a long time ago. He said, I always have 10 problems that I'm trying to work on. I always have a list of 10 problems that I'm trying to work on. And I have that list and there's usually more than 10 things on it too. And in humility, I bring those things before God, and I say, God, help me to ask the right questions about this. What am I missing? Where can I go to find it? How will it change me? How will it change us as a church? That's the big difference, is curiosity asks the right vision questions. He said that imagination creates the vision options. Imagination creates the vision options. Uh, I did a wedding a couple weeks ago. Here's the bride. I love this bride, and I love this bride because of one specific reason. She didn't want a wedding cake. She didn't want a wedding cake. And the truth is, I don't like wedding cakes either. Do you know why? They give you a little tiny piece. You get a little, you know, you have this dinner, and you're like ready for bring me the cake and you get this little sliver. And I don't know why they do every every single wedding. And there's always like cake left over, and they save cake, they put it in the freezer, and they put it away for another day. It's like, please, bring me a piece of cake, like a man-sized, kingdom-sized, God-sized piece of cake, please, somebody. So she's like, I didn't, I didn't want a wedding cake, so she put out a cake buffet. And, and there was all these cakes that you're seeing on the screen, and you can have as much cake as you wanted. It's like a dream come true, an answer to a prayer that I made in a closet a long time ago. <laughs> Not only did they have these cakes, but they had little trays of, of, of cookies, cookies dipped in chocolate, Italian cookies. And so, you know, before I even had dinner, you know, I was over there, you know, making believe like I was watching over the table, like I was some table cake security person, you know. And then I'd look, I'd say, okay, nobody's looking, cookie. And I go, cookie, get the cookie. I had, I had like three or four cookies. This is confession time now. I had several cookies, maybe more than several, before I had dinner. But I love her because she goes, you don't have to have a wedding cake. You can have a cake buffet. She had the imagination to make that happen. Imagination creates the vision options. This church started with imagination. What would it look like to put together a church designed to reach people who didn't like church anymore or who were neutral about going to church? What would move people to come to church rather than stay home? Could the church be relevant to real life and not be churchy? See, church, churches sometimes get churchy. There's a language, and there's a behavior pattern, and there's a way you dress, and there's a way you look. And, and sometimes people go, I don't want to be like that. What if, what if there was a church where you could come 
as you are. We can come with the questions that you have, and somebody will walk with you, and you don't have to have all the answers. This church started with imagination, and we're still working on that kind of imaginative church today. It just keeps going. We're in our 25th year trying to work on what could this be? What could this look like? How could we make a difference in people's lives and in the world? Curiosity asks the right vision questions. And imagination creates the vision options. Creativity gives you more vision solutions. Here's the deal. It's not the problems that are the problem. It's not the problems that are the problem. It's the lack of creative thinking that settles us into thinking the problems are the problem. Because we can do anything we feel God wants us to do if we're passionate about doing it and we know that God is leading us into it. There's a great point, probably the best point that John Maxwell brought up in, in this online seminar is this one, and I'm going to give it to you right now. Somebody brought him a problem, and he looked at this person, and he thought about what they were saying, and then he said this. Never bring me a problem unless you have three solutions, and one of the three has to have you in it. I'm going to read that one more time. Never bring me a problem unless you have three solutions and one of the three has to have you in it. This is my new philosophy of life. This is like going to change everything. Because people say a lot of things. And, and I, I, I try to do as much as I can, but I can't do everything. The staff tries to do as much as we can, but we can't do everything. A church is a bunch of people who have a kingdom vision, who know that we own this, and we're doing this together, we're living this together, we're trying to figure out what God wants us to do and get it done together. And if you see a problem, that's great, because I see problems too. So let's get some solutions, and one of those solutions has to have you in it. I call this the vision edge. Curiosity asks the right vision questions. Imagination creates the vision options. Creativity gives you more vision solutions. Chuck Swindoll once put it this way. Surely the awesome Spirit of God wishes to do more within us than what is presently going on. There are scars he wants to heal. There are insights he longs to reveal. There are profound dimensions of life he would dearly love to open up. We think vision is about seeing something out there. Vision always begins by seeing something in here. So what do you see in here? Gail and I, when we go to New York, we love to go to Broadway shows, and usually, I've told you before, uh, you know, we like to get half-price tickets, uh, stand online in Times Square. That's my job. I do that. Her job is shopping. We talked about that before. So, you know, she's shopping somewhere and she calls in. What are the tickets? How did, did we get to did we have five tickets? And I, I'm there and I take care of that. We really have wanted to see Hamilton 
but you can't touch tickets for Hamilton in New York. If you want to sit in the orchestra, it's maybe a thousand bucks easy. It's probably more like two or three if you want good seats in the orchestra. So you multiply that times two, and you know why I haven't seen Hamilton at this point. If you want to sit in the nosebleed section in the, in the upper balcony, 500 bucks. Multiply that times two. Haven't seen Hamilton. Don't want to even you know, walk by the theater. So we're in Chicago, and Hamilton's playing in Chicago, and we go by there, and the matinee you could get into at a very reasonable price, very, very reasonable price. My ballpark that I live in. So I'm like, this is great. We are going to go see Hamilton. Amazing. And so we go to the matinee, 1.30 in the afternoon. And, and, and I thought it was all going to be about, you know, it, it's, it's rap and stuff. You know, and, and, and the, you know, Betsy Ross was on a horse, and she was going to get a loss. And it wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't like that. And that was really bad rap right there. I was like, horrible, horrible rapping. So, um, so it was about the story of our country and how it started and, and how all these things came together and the tensions and all these people that really weren't living a kingdom vision. They were all living their, their own vision. Uh, and at the end of the show, they sing these words. And I thought, this is like church. Who lives? Who dies? Will they tell your story? Are you living a life that's making a difference? Are you living a kingdom vision? Who lives? Who dies? Will they tell the story of your life? And the question came out, and I was blown away. Here's the question that came out in the show. What is a legacy? They sang this out from the stage. What is a legacy? And here's the answer that they gave. When you plant seeds in a garden, you will never see. When you plant seeds in a garden, you will never see. And long ago, the Savior of the world told a story about a legacy that you could have. He told a story about the parameters of the kingdom of God. He said, if you will have this kingdom vision, you will change the world. You will change who you are. You will change the lives of people around you. But you have to understand that you're going to be planting seeds in a garden that you will never see. So what's your legacy? What's your vision? It's not out there. It's in here. It's always been in here. So when you look in here, when you look at your heart right now, what do you see? I hope you see a kingdom vision. I hope you see a legacy that God is starting to to build through you. I hope you see that you are planting seeds in a garden. And there's a smile on your face. Even though you'll never see what that garden looks like, you'll know that God gave you a life that was worth living, that he gave you a kingdom vision, and that he's giving you a legacy. Dear Heavenly Father, we're humbled to be before you in this way and to understand the the dynamics of your kingdom and the purpose of your kingdom and the invitation of your kingdom, the calling that your kingdom places upon us, Father. So allow us to, to see that that vision is not out there as much as it begins by seeing what's in our hearts. Father, allow us the courage and the faith to get there. In Jesus' name, amen.